You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. I want to first say, please like and subscribe. Um, I've forgotten to say that for literally hundreds of episodes, so now I'm saying it. So like, subscribe, and review. And if you have an author you want us to talk to, or you are an author that wants to be on this show, please email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. If you want us to find an author, we're really good at hunting them down. So thank you listeners out there. We'd love your feedback. And with that, my co-host today is the amazing Valerie Willis. Yes, I am amazing. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I almost wore that same shirt and I'm so glad I didn't because that would have been so weird. The cheese. I, I love the fold in the cheese. Okay. And our amazing guest today is S.G. Blaze. Woo! Woo! Thank okay. you for having me. Yeah, of course. Let's talk about what we're drinking. I am drinking out of a very old drinking without their swag cup. I put gin and juice together. And that's not what gin and juice is supposed to be, like the song gin and juice from Snoop Dogg, but it's it's pretty close. Oh, our sponsor today is Skunk Brothers Spirits. DWA10 is the coupon code. I have to remember all of these things, which I'm not necessarily good at. Val, what are you drinking? Irish coffee, because I'm still waking up, but now it's got an extra bite. I like it. I Maybe like I should it. start my day like this more often. <laughs> Probably not. We've seen you get drunk. That's not a good idea. Um, SG, what are you drinking? Iced coffee with a splash of Bailey's. Oh, we match. Twinsies. Everybody's twinsies today. <laughs> so I just chewed on ice, which was a bad idea. SG, what, for the audience out there that may not know you, what do you write? I write sci-fi. I write sci-fi fantasy, and I have uh, the last Lumanian series out with two books, and the third coming this December. Woo! Very, very cool. Awesome, awesome. So, when did you start writing? I started writing in 2014 after a year of deliberating whether I should start writing or not. To which my <laughs> husband very eloquently said, "Just shut up and write." He did mean it in the best possible way. <laughs> And that was the beginning of my writing journey uh, that started in 2014 and ended with publishing the first book in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, because why not? Why not? <laughs> we're not going to let anything stop we're, us. We're very, we're very fond of doing things in the middle of the pandemic, as you... Right? I don't think there's other ways to do things, right? right. And so that was the beginning, you know, and then the second book uh, followed uh, the next December. And then the third book, which I can't believe I'm on the third book, is coming out this December. That is very, very cool. So why was there a year-long debate about writing? What was the debate for a year? How do you have a year-long debate? The inquiring minds want to know. It's uh, it's because of fear. I let fear stop me for a whole year, and I found very good logical reasons why I shouldn't embark on writing a book because it's hard to publish. Uh oh. Uh-oh. And I had all oh, there, there. It's okay. You blipped. I blip all the time. It's totally fine. We <laughs> love technology. 
<laughs> so I had all logical reasons to explain away why I shouldn't write as opposed to just do it. So that was my first lesson to learn is to don't complain. Don't let fear hold you back. Just do it. So did you have formal... I, oh my god! I almost said formal training, like we're ballet dancers or something. Like that. <laughs> we are in our own minds. Oh, okay. absolutely! I, I know you think you're a ballet dancer, regardless, my <laughs> delicate little flower of a co-host. No, but enough grace. Um, yeah, I was going to say you'd have to have poise and balance to pull that off, which are you're great at many things. Those two do not happen to be things that you're fantastic at. So. <laughs> Did you write before you decided to write a book? Like, was that something you did when you were younger? Like, where did that passion come from? The passion for writing came from uh, a dream. And it was a horror story that I wrote down when I was 10 years old. And it was so scaring that I had to take control of that dream. And I became the hero. I oh. conquered this uh, spider crab creature. Ooh. And uh, I had to share this story the next day with my class, because what's a story if you don't have an audience for it? And they applauded. They laughed at my jokes. And I was hooked. Oh, and from wow. that point on, I knew I would like to be a writer, but I also need a day job to support my habit. So I focused <laughs> on <laughs> getting into the right high school, the right college. And then I met my husband who lived in Boston at the time. And I moved to, to America and I realized I don't speak a word in English, even though I had 12 years of passive knowledge, I couldn't say a sentence. So it, it basically, I felt my dream was crushed. That's it. It's over. I can't write in English. I can't write in Hungarian because I can't read the books in Hungarian anymore. I need to learn the language. So there was a good 10, 13 year of, of break to just learn the language. But wow. my brain wouldn't uh, relent on the, the dream and passion. So when we were on a cross-country road trip in Europe in 2012, I had this dream that spanned multiple books and I wrote it down. And that was the, the inspiration for the last Lumanian series. And then, as you know, I waited a year because, you know, everyone have to go and conquer that fear, the initial fear before we start writing. And now here I am. 14, 14 years old. I don't even know. You do the math. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> I was going to say, you're asking. Yeah, 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 we don't math. That's don't not math. a skill set we are proud of whatsoever. Yeah. So. <laughs> so let's go with nine years of, of writing journey. <laughs> I, I love that. I also love that your books are inspired by dreams that you have. Thank you. You know, I think that's awesome. I don't actually hear that really frequently, <laughs> that books are inspired by dreams. Because my books are inspired by taking real people and then deciding how to kill them. That's how. <laughs> That's one know. way to do it. That's you know, it's very it. cathartic, actually. And let me just say, when you can kill people in fiction, I'm like I have a warning sign on the other side of my office door that says, warning writer at work you may be written and killed in the story or something like that because that's what I do that's yes. that's how I roll I kill you in the stories so when you first sat down to write because it took you a little bit to get it done what what was that journey like because you know you're like okay I'm gonna write and then six years pass so take us on the journey of this first book I was talking to somebody on a podcast yesterday and we were talking about the fact that it seems like every book, for the most part, not every person, right, 
but every book first book is like this epic like lord of the rings walking journey to mount doom to get the book done and then all of a sudden it's like meh whatever here's a book here's a book here's a book like there's books everywhere but that first book is like trudging with no water and smeagol on your tail so I like all the Lord of the Rings references I just managed to make in a very short period of time. But what was that like for you? Oh, I love the Lord of the Ring reference too. So the first book was basically a floodgate. Uh, when I sat down that first uh, month, I didn't even get up for 30 days. It was basically just from morning till evening, just writing, writing, writing. And I managed to produce 150 pages only to realize this is garbage. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Everyone's happy. This is not a story. What is this? So uh, I started to look for other venues to, to learn the craft because what I learned in high school is not the same as what no. my son is learning in middle school for creative writing. So I knew I had zero knowledge but that didn't stop me so I started to take workshops writer conferences reading how-to books six rewrites from blank page that's what the first book took to develop into a story that it is today and that's what allowed me to develop my my writer's voice my craft and figure out the direction the series will go wow yeah, there's I, a, go ahead. Um, yeah, there. I tell people all the time. First off, we're in a wonderful age because we have access. We have access. There's workshops, local library systems that are constantly promoting things for writers and things like that. That you don't necessarily need a formal education in order to learn how to write professionally. But there is a huge difference between writing as a hobby and telling a story for yourself and writing to tell the story to an audience. So what are some of the first like things that you had to shift or that you discovered that you were missing in those early, early workshops and things? Like what, what advice would you give to someone sitting down and doing that transition from writing as a hobby to writing professionally? Well, beautifully said, Valerie, it is a big shift and it starts with perseverance and hard work. Uh, hobby writers, they think they write a, a first draft and then it's good to go. And it's usually not the case, especially when, when the author is in the beginning of her journey, because we have to learn how we write. We have to understand our genre. We have to understand what it takes a story to be a great story. And so that requires some form of craft, maybe structure, whatever it is, each writer has to develop their own method of how they create that story, how they tell that story the best possible way. So that's my first advice is to dive into the how-to books, go to writers' conferences, read books that are, are big in your genre, learn from them, see what works, see what doesn't work, and go with your instinct that will allow you to develop your own writing method. I love that because that's that's true. And I love the fact that you realized, no, and no offense intended, that you weren't good at it. Because <laughs> a lot of people will write those 150 pages and be like, this is the best thing that was ever written in the history of the world. And from all of us that have had to redo manuscript one or just chuck it, Val's in the middle of redoing manuscript 
one right now. We're almost done with redoing manuscript oh. one. She wrote a young like adult the, series. There were three times. of them, but one of them was in high school. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. It was a brilliant rendition of this young adult story that has had to be edited. <laughs> yes. Yes. One more. I promised myself this would be the last revision of this piece because the last time I revised it, I've learned loads of loads of things and uh the story and characters are solid but you know that I didn't know my writing voice and now I do so now I'm like okay I don't have to like go to the same level that a, a new story does but there's still those little clunky parts that I wanted to to filter out for the sake of the reader so it, it is definitely like there's and as a writer, you should be always, always learning. Like it's, it's never, you never stop learning to be, uh, to, to be yourself or develop your, your voice. And I think it's great that English necessarily wasn't your first language. You, you not only mastered English, but you mastered it to the level of your own book three. Like that is, congratulations. That is amazing. I, I just well, not only that you can translate your book into hungarian which is Ooh. kind of amazing i don't know if you've thought about that but not <laughs> a lot of people have the option of translating <laughs> their own book into something else i was getting nervous about translation because i'm like how does this sound in this other language you know but it's it's, it's a thought that occurred but i have to be honest with you erica it's something that scares me even more than writing in english because i feel like i lost my beautiful um writing language that that i had before i started to switch to another language so now i can speak hungarian but it is not a literary language it is kind of slangish it is a hunglish you know there's a little bit of hungarian a little bit of english so for me to embark on translating that would mean knowing English, uh, no, no reading in English, just focusing on that to refresh, you know, so that that the translation could shine. So I would probably hire a professional. <laughs> that <would check. laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I love that. I love that. That's kind of amazing. So you published during the pandemic. How did you publish? Were you self-published at first or did you, how did you go? Where did you go to begin? Absolutely. So I self-published the first book because that was always the plan for me, you know, and I spent the whole year of finding freelancers, uh, you know, website designer, cover designer, interior designer, you know, uh, so on and so forth that helped me to create this team. That is now my my publishing team that I tap every time a book is coming out. Hey, guys, I need a new landing page, which we're actually working on right now. And uh, you're we're creating the website that's uh, actually, you know, have characters, maps, uh, an immersive, uh, you know, experience for the readers. But it started with that one year of searching for illustrators, one for characters, one for the map. And, and going through the interview process, doing the due diligence, you know, and figuring out is this a team that we can work together and and they're phenomenal. I am so happy to have them on my side. And that was the first year uh, that led to the pandemic. I didn't plan it that way. Suddenly we were neck deep in there and we said, we, can't, we have to get this book out. We've been working on this for so long. We cannot let the pandemic stop us. So we published in 2020 summer. And I have to say, if 
you guys listening have not gone to sgblaze.com, it is amazing. Like one of the best author websites and designs I've seen in a while. Oh, um, it's, thank you, Valerie. Love, yeah, and I love your little character section. It's it's really nice because you can you get little profiles and things like that. It's it's well done. So oh. it's it's not very often that I'm like. Ooh, it's eye candy for sure. <laughs> Thank you. That was the whole point. And, and that website was at least a good two years in a progress. We had a, an other website in place and then we were developing. The whole format is to, to mimic a book. Uh-huh. So we have the, the, the horizontal layout. You can go from left to right as turning the page. We don't have the animation, obviously. We have some limitation, but that's the whole idea behind that website, that it is like a book. You can page through it and you can experiment. You know, there are Easter eggs on the map. We're going to launch a new map and there is an Easter egg on it. And I hope the readers will find it because... We've been we've been planning and working on that baby for for six months now. <laughs> that is awesome. What made you decide to do that? I mean, I talked to so many authors. If I mean, if you listen to the show, that some of them don't even have websites or newsletters. Which shame on you if you're listening right now and don't <laughs> get your shit together and get your website and your newsletter. But you went way beyond that. Oh, thank you, Erica. The reason of going way beyond that is that we, I always approach this series as a transmedia uh, uh, series, not just book series, but potential comic books, TV show, movies. And so that was our starting point. And, and I knew that that I had to lay down the foundation for that starting point. And it started with a website that could become a transmedia hub and have the series develop it in a way that creates uh, options to have, you know, a comic book series, something else, uh, app games, whatever it is, you name it, we're ready for it. So that's how we started. Uh, and I say we because my husband is my huge supporter and, and also uh, a tremendous help. I couldn't have done it without him. So there was a lot of brainstorming going into it. And that was the foundation of this hopefully big transmedia um, that will the last Romanian series will turn into one day. Very cool. Now, you said you have a middle school kiddo, right? Uh, he's in high school now. He was he in been? elementary, then middle school. Yeah, he, he, he heard this whole book series read out loud for <laughs> six years. And I knew it was good because he was chuckling in the background. So that was just adorable. We didn't realize he was listening in. My husband and I, husband would read it out loud so we could track the flow. And my son was playing in the family room. He was like eight or nine at the time. And then we hear this giggle coming from the family room. So I knew the book was good good for uh, eight to nine years old at the time <laughs> because he was laughing. But uh, he's, been, uh, he's been, you know, with this process quite a long time, too. So has he read all of them then? He read the first two. He's going to read the third one. I'm working on copy edits. So he very generously let me know that when you go through copy edit, mom, I'll read it then. So. <laughs> He's doing so that's what I'm working. He's doing yeah, it's like, just take the grammar mistakes out, mom. I, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so amazing when your kiddos decide to read your work, right? Like, Thank you. I think that is so awesome. So what about, um, so what made you decide to go the self-publishing route versus finding a publisher? 
I decided to go on the self-publishing route because of the the knowledge and research I did into this map into this path. You know, a lot of uh, writers' conferences were comparing the two paths, and um, I, I noticed there were you know advantages and disadvantages for both. And it seemed to me that self-publishing had more advantages. You know, the creative freedom. I published a book when I'm ready, and a couple other aspects that really uh, was uh, something that uh, I favored. So that's why I chose to go the self-published or indie-published way, if we like to call it that. And it worked out so far, knock on wood. <laughs> and, you know, we talk, I talk about this a lot because I, I occasionally teach, you know, uh, what I call the self-publishing boot camp. And it's like a six-hour thing. And we always, uh, I always start it with, you need, you need to know right now that your, your decision making for all the, the parts and you're going to wear many hats through this process and you have to decide you'll have more time or more money. Yeah. And then in between is when to do one over the other, like know your weaknesses and know when you should be spending money to have a professional pull something together versus do I have the time to master this? so I can move on to the next level and treat it. And I'm like, and congratulations, you've become a business and your book is your product. <laughs> like how much of that resonates with you do uh, this process of self-publishing? Uh, very well said, Valerie. Treating uh, the self-publishing as a business and the book as a product was an easier way for me to handle it because I could put on my business hat, as you said, I'm, I'm thinking logically, I'm not creating here. So I could focus on the steps, the milestones I needed to achieve and check and I could have the timeline planned out, you know, the deadline for when the editing is done, what's the next step, you know, just because we're working on the edit doesn't mean we can't work on the website. So it allowed me to create the logistical plan that could support the business side and, and then switch to the creative side when I'm developing the, the next book, which I'm going to start soon, the first, fourth book. But that was the what helped me to approach this, that I knew there are milestones to achieve and it's not impossible. And I can always find freelancers who help me to achieve those goals. Very cool. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back because I saw Val had another question, but she's going to hold it. Until <laughs> I'm, we're hold, back. I'm holding. I'm drink I'm it holding. with authors. Hold it. Hold it. <laughs> hey, Martha. What? Do you like nerd stuff? I do. And do you like adult beverages? I super do. <laughs> well, then you should join us with a drink. With a drink. With a drink. On, but first, let's talk nerdy. Clink. <laughs> On the ESO Network. We'll see you on Tuesday. Maybe next Tuesday. Maybe. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. 
From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, so we're back and Val, you had another question. You had a follow-up, I think. Yeah, um, what was your process? Because uh, I, I don't think I, we get very often to talk about this. Like when it came to finding the people to help you achieve this amazing level of website and stuff, were there key things that you were looking for in your freelancers? Like was it a background in the genre that you were aiming for? Like what were some key things that were must for each each contractor? The key thing I was looking for was definitely the the skill set that they, they've been doing this for a while and that they are passionate about what they're doing because that's how I approach my writing. I'm very passionate about uh, storytelling. And I was uh, very fortunate that most of them were recommended by a friend. Okay. So so I didn't have to do a uh, very hard search. <laughs> and they they do it usually after hours. They have a day job. <laughs> And then they do it uh, on the weekend. And that's how my team came together. Of course, the cover designer, uh, he's been doing this uh, for over 10 years. He's in London and that's all he does. He does covers. So so that one um, I found on one of the independent uh, book publishers, uh, you know, website that had a resource recommendation. Highly recommend to check them out. Uh, it's it's easier to look for cover designers. They already vet uh, the freelancers. So I wasn't so afraid to approach them. And it's it's important to find someone who, that's what they, they do. It's not just a hobby, but that's what they do. And that was my approach. I, I think that's great. Um, finding somebody, actually, uh, I heard a, a, a terrible, who was telling me this? I think CR was telling me this, that there was um, on Kindle Unlimited, she got three books from three different authors that all had the same exact cover. Ooh. The only difference was the name was in a different font. Like Val's, Val's mouth is hanging open. So whoever did that cover, um, Either it's one of two things, either somebody is selling that cover and, and, and um, uh, CR akin it to, you remember in, um, what is the cheertatorship? Uh, what is it, that movie where anyway, Kirsten Dunst and they end up selling that same cheer routine to everybody like up and down the coast. So like five different teams are doing the same cheer routine. Bring it on. That's the name of the movie. Bring it on. I'm fine. Yeah. It took me a moment. It took me a moment. It's okay. There's a little, you know, there's some gin. Um, but uh, I thought that was interesting because it's either that or somebody goes on Shutterstock, finds an image, and then does the creator. The thing is, it's it's it gets very dangerous when you do that sort of thing and you don't have originality in your books and you're not making changes and you're just throwing 
a picture that you find, you know, I word yeah. to the wise, don't do that. And then look <laughs> at the cover artists and make sure that they're not peddling that same cover over and over again. Like if you buy the cover for them from them, make sure it comes down off their website and it's not romance cover one, two, three, four. And then, cause then 10 of you might have romance cover one, two, three, four. And that's just it. Make sure whoever you you're buying the templates from only sells the template once. Yes. Uh, it's it's a big big thing. And luckily, Shutterstock just did a update, and now they flag and tell you how high of usage or down or how many downloads roughly a picture has. Um, you know, and that was that change only has happened in the last year or so. So it's really nice because now when I look at images because I also do cover design on occasion I can be like "Ooh, this one's got high traffic let me see if I can't find one with lower traffic because the chances of having that same girl on the on the the cover is yeah. going to be a lot lower um because I know it, once you find an eye-catching image you're it's not just catching your eye it's a good photo yeah <laughs> now I'm yeah. losing my voice it's but- a advice and, and the other advice is that um there was a reason i didn't create my own cover because i am not good at it i probably would have sucked at it and i had the you know i was able to be honest about that and i didn't try to tackle and learn and figure out because the cover is so important that is the first thing anyone sees about your book and I've hearing so many times from other author friends that I'm just going to design my own cover. Please don't. If you can find someone whose job is to design covers so your cover could be the best, <laughs> not just something that's good enough. Don't aim for good enough. It has to be the best. <laughs> no, and I think that's a great way to look at it. And if you're going to self-publish, no, because this is something you can talk to as well you're going to have to spend money to self-publish. If you want to self-publish, you want to do Mm -hmm. it right. You're going to have to spend money Mm -hmm. to make that happen. And it's not, I mean, it can be great and you have creative control and all of that stuff, but it can be expensive as well. Are your books audiobooks yet? Yes, I have two audiobooks out. Very cool. Very well done. Look at all the things you're doing right here. Awesome. Like epic gold stars across the board. (laughs) Well, thank you. Don't jinx it, Erica. Don't jinx it. I'm not. I'm knocking on wood. I don't know how to do other things. But now you've become my new example for how to self-publish properly. (laughs) Like, go to SG Blaze and look at that. That's yeah. how it's done. <laughs> I have resources on my Instagram for anyone who's looking for freelancers. I always do the, the self-published resources and I do shout outs for in aspiring authors. So I, I recommend the, anyone who's interested to visit my Instagram at sgblaze uh, official. And uh, there's always something they can find there. Very, very awesome. cool. So let's talk a little bit about your actual writing process. So besides the 30 days you spent writing something, you basically lit on fire and tossed in the trash and started again. <laughs> what is your writing process? We've all done that. So it's that's not like some we super secret. Um, what is your writing process like? The writing process for me looks like three to four months of developing the story and then diving into writing it. And the third one I wrote in 19 days, actually. I did take six days of break. So technically it's 24, but um, it's all because of the notes. Thank you. Thank you. 
Valerie. And um, I think it it helps me to get into the groove of writing. I don't have to think too much. It's basically my writing prompt. My notes are my writing prompts. And then I just write. And I don't set a word count. I don't pressure myself to, to do every single day. I just try to get into the groove and, and write it. So let's talk about this outline then for three or four months that you're writing this outline. Because a lot of people write these gigantic outlines and then they still take just as long to write the damn book. And I'm like, why are you writing a 50,000 word outline to write a 100,000 word book? You've now, like it's 1.5 times what you needed to write. So what does your outline look like? Uh, it's not just an outline, Erica. It's actually have sections. So the first one is a basic structure. The second one is characters, because these characters are not just hanging in the vacuum of space. They are connected organically, and usually they have different approach to the conflict, you know, the central moral conflict. And then I have the world building that's structural, and then I have the world building that's uh, for telling the story, you know, what is the daily life looks like, what is this society looks like. And then I have a moral argument. And then, um, then I have the actual scenes or outline, and then I go into writing. So I have multiple uh, sections when I, I develop my story. Well, I think she should just be sitting here teaching us how to do this because that. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, lady? I'm 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 crazy pants. I write uh, like three hundred thousand. Um, 300,000 words a year, despite everything else that I'm doing on the side. <laughs> I know you write a lot. I'm just saying the way she's approaching it, Miss. No, no. What over makes there, me, folding no, the cheese, crazy pants. Building her, her Bible for her, her world, her characters. Like when it comes to fantasy or science fiction or anything that's not of the same world as us or embarks or splits um in a, like an urban fantasy and kind of changes the rules of what is considered the normal life or slice of life you have to you have to keep track of all that because if you expect yourself to remember by the time you hit book three you're you're not you're not you're not it's impossible oh, yeah. it's too much information but it's crazy that you can blossom this entire society this entire <laughs> cultures and characters and things but you have to write it down. You have cool. to write it down and refer back to it often. And then each story is going to need its little, I, I do something similar. Like I'm, my Cedric series is on book five now. And I'm like, okay, I have to reorganize my world book because now it's not, it's getting too hard to find all the info. So I'm like, okay, I got to restructure this so I can refer back to it better. But um, Absolutely. In fact, Valerie, I would recommend you um, a website. They have a desktop app. It's called Campfire. And that is the most amazing world building organizer that I've ever seen. I use another writing program when I develop my stories and each book has its own file saved separate. But I got to the point, as you said, when my world building is about thousand pages at this point and they evolved. I have to track, uh, you know, what was in first book, second book. And I have like 500 folders on the side. And it gets messy when I'm looking for one thing and it takes me an hour to find it. So this campfire program, they have the sections of characters, locations, magic, animals, et cetera, et cetera, but it's in a fixed location. Yeah. 
So it's not like with Scrivener where you add a folder, it goes on top of it or under it, right? So suddenly you have all these folders that just, you know, go on forever. This is fixed location. So when I need my characters, I just click on it, it expands. And then I have my folders, I have my main characters, my antagonists, I, minor characters, so on and so forth per books, right? So it helped me to reorganize my world building, which I'm, I'm still in the process because it is, it is critical to, to know what you wrote, to know how that evolved, uh, to look back, highly recommend. Very cool. Very cool. Look, see, we are learning things. Or did yeah, you already know that, Val? Who knows everything? No, I've never heard of Campfire. Now I'm like, I need to Google this. <laughs> okay. So, Eshi, what about, um, have you, because your book got published during the pandemic, what has fan interaction been like for you, though? Have you done any live events yet? Uh, my first live event was uh, actually this June. I went to the American Library Association convention, thanks to IBPA, who had a big booth there. And I had one hour of signing session, and it was a blast. My husband and my son were yelling that, why fantasy? Come and get it. And then I would hand it out uh, free <laughs> of charge, sign it if it was requested. And it was a blast. I wish I could do more of it, but that was my first one. Hopefully not the last. Yes. No, because you, your, your genre is ripe for going to like a comic book convention and stuff like that, which I'm oh, sure yeah. your son would love thoroughly <laughs> just being around all of that stuff. <laughs> so that was exciting. Yes. ALA was definitely an interesting, definitely an interesting event. That was our <laughs> first year there too, as well. Yeah, no, that was weird, but um, what about emails? Do you have like um, uh, any fan pages on Facebook or anything like that where you're getting interaction? I do have uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And my favorite part is that um, getting little messages from readers that they read the book, they loved it. When is the second one coming out? When is the third one coming out? So I do have some uh, interaction. And then I, of course, see the reviews on Goodreads and Amazon coming in. So uh, it's always fun to see what the readers think of the books and what they're looking for for the most. No, that's very cool. What about reviews? Have you, um, do you read all your reviews? I, I used to. <laughs> <laughs> Learned the hard way that there is no need to read every single one of them. So I usually have a filter. <laughs> It's my husband who says, you got to read this one. So I read the, the filtered ones. <laughs> but uh, joke aside, every review is, is amazing and helpful, and I can still learn from them. I just don't have to read them every day, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I think that, you know, it just depends. Some of the reviews, like reviews can be great. It just depends on what you're utilizing them for. Yeah. We talked a lot yeah. about that because if you just take it personally, every <laughs> time somebody reviews your book, then no, do not read your reviews. No. Yeah. You should never do that. It's a horrible idea. And, you know, and I always tell people to remember reviews are, are, are a reader sharing their experience for other readers to decide whether or not this is their cup of tea. Like what turns away a reader for one, two or three stars might be a four or five star kind of book for someone else. It's not necessarily every review has value for a reader, not necessarily uh, 
designed or meant for for the author you know exactly. but if they're saying there's there's grammar quality issues you might want to take another look at things just to check um but other than that to me that's that's for readers to share with other readers and a reader's going to look at it and say oh my god they were upset because there was too much blood and gore but i <laughs> love blood and gore like they're going to be able to decide Exactly. And, you know, that's that's what uh, the best part about uh, being a, a writer is that, you know, it's once you have your book on uh, published, then you let your baby go and, and, and it lives its own life and you get to see, you know, some of the interactions, but it's from afar. I don't have to hold my book's hand to survive anymore. So it's it's really is a uh, such a, a great uh, little extra look in of how my book is doing. So that's how I try to look at it. That uh, reviews are not for me, as you said. It's for everyone else. No, that's very true. Very true. Are you a fan of this particular genre? Did you grow up reading this genre? I am a huge fan of sci-fi fantasy, and that's because my dad, when I grew up in the second half of the Soviet oppression, so my dad smuggled the Hollywood movies in because when they would come to the Hungary, you would have that weekend when they premiered to watch it, and then good luck to you. So when the first Star Wars movie premiered, it was in 79, and I was one years old. So I couldn't watch it, and my dad was very upset about that fact that he couldn't share this amazing story with his children. So he decided that he's going to rebel in his own way and he's going to smuggle in these movies, not to sell them, but to translate and use his own voice to dub them so that his kids who don't speak English and his wife who don't speak English, uh, we could watch and enjoy this movie. And uh, we would have weekly movie nights every Sunday night. And that's how I watch Star Wars, Indiana Jones, um, Rocky, Terminator, you name it. <laughs> he would get wow. his hands on it. He would catalog the, the VHS cassettes and it was just uh, his hobby. That was his hobby. And that's how I got my love of sci-fi fantasy. It sparked my imagination and I still love it. I think that had to be so much fun when you heard these movies, not dubbed by dad the first time. <laughs> I would love to hear dad doing some of the voices like dad doing Princess Leia. Like what was Oh, my dad was an engineer. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately. And he was very serious about this. So he would have the headphones. The, he would go in and find all the equipment that he needed. The best uh, VHS recorder and another one because you have to do the recording to get, uh, don't get me started. So he would have the microphone on with the headphones and he's like, and then Leo said, don't go there. No voices, just monotone because... <laughs> His job is to get you <laughs> the story. His job is not to be the actor. And then he said, okay. <laughs> that is the best. I hope you still have some of these. I really do. That's kind of amazing. That is. You know, that, I do. that is super sweet that Thank he did you. that. My dad actually took me to the opening of Star Wars at the Chinese Man Theater because I was three at the time that happened. <laughs> but, and I remember it because I remember the music like that, you know, it's was one of those things that apparently was important enough to remember, <laughs> unlike some other things. Okay, Val, you get the last question, my friend. No pressure, but question. it better not be stupid. 
um, you know, uh, God, there's so many questions I could ask. I'm trying to pick now the pressure's on last question. I'm like, Oh, which one of these is, um, how important it is that, uh, because you've mentioned the support of your husband, uh, even your kiddo has a level of support for you. And then your dad, uh, definitely supported the imagination. Like how important has it been that your, your family has been a part of your journey as a writer? I have to say that having my family support, and I do have to add my mom who lives with us. Uh, she she does her own support, chocolate chip cookies mainly. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're the starving writer's soul. Uh, it's it's imperative to have that support because uh, my experience was that I wouldn't even call myself a writer for years. I was I was almost embarrassed to say I'm a writer because, oh, no, what would other people think? I'm wasting my time writing a book. Right. But it was serious to me. And and my husband and, and my son and my mom, they both made sure that that I knew they took it seriously. And in fact, they were my first uh, uh, alpha readers, not even beta readers. They were my alpha readers. My, my poor mom, she doesn't speak English. So she she read whatever she could. But that's, that support enabled me to keep going and to not focus on anything else but the writing itself and to know that they're always there to, to have my back. That is so awesome. That's a good question there, Val. I think a support system is amazing for people. Okay. SG, shameless self-promotion time. Let's talk about your books and how to find them, including your upcoming book. What is the title of book three? It's not revealed yet, so I can't share it. I would love to share it, but uh, it's going to be revealed in a week or two, hopefully when the website page is ready. So uh, the Last Lumanian series have two books out, The Last Lumanian, which is the first book, and then True Taryn, which is the sequel. And it's available wherever books are available, Amazon, Google, Apple, so on and so forth. You can find me on Twitter as SGBlaze author you can find me on instagram at sgblazeofficial and i have a less lumanian facebook page where fans can leave comments and check out uh, all the news and i also have a newsletter that you can sign up on my website sgblaze.com i didn't forget very good very good all of those things so sg it has been amazing to have you on here thank you so much for joining us today Thank you, Erica and Valerie, for this amazing opportunity. I had a blast. Yay, yay. Okay, guys. So this has been Drinking with Authors. Um, our sponsor today has been Skunk Brother Spirits. I said it correctly. Coupon <laughs> code DWA10. Don't forget um, to like, comment, and uh, subscribe to our podcast. I wanted to say in? something. I wanted to say something. <laughs> do, you, do you think that helped? I think so. Go back to your coffee. Okay. Anyway, just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway, guys. Um, so my co-host has been the always fun to have around Valerie Willis. And our guest has been SG Blaze. And we will see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.